As always, I'm honored to preach. Pastor Mark is helping out with uh, Connection Track again today, but he will be um, starting a new series next week as we enter our mini-church season. But it's always an honor to just preach and, and bring the Word. And, and uh, I'm going to continue on what I preached on last week about this concept of the dust of the rabbi. And, uh, and what we talked about last week is a well-known story of these two ladies named Martha and Mary, and that typically the way we see that story is that Martha is kind of the bad one because she's busy and Mary is the good one because she's spiritual, but in reality, that's not the way that the text is what it's about. Uh, and and it's, not, it's not about busy versus not busy. It's about the fact that Martha's heart was distracted because she was focused on the wrong thing. In fact, what she was doing was good. She was busy. She was serving. She was doing what was expected, what was, what was right. But the, the place where her heart was wrong was she was comparing herself to Mary. And that's why Jesus said to her, listen, Mary's chosen the better thing. Not that Mary's a better person, but Mary chose the better thing to, to focus on, the, on Jesus and make Jesus the center. And so what I want to do is continue in that concept uh, and, and talk about how we make Jesus the better thing. How do we operate that in our lives? How do we walk that out? How do we live in the awareness of his presence? How do we cultivate the better thing? And so with that, I want to talk about the concept of prayer, because prayer really is how we do that. And prayer is a real challenge for most people, if not just awkward, okay? Similar to the Mary and Martha story, if you might, if you found yourself in a prayer group, whether you've been in church your whole life or not, you're familiar with prayer, uh, and you'll see what I mean in a second, at least in some sense, and it's often awkward for people. It's often challenging. Maybe, maybe you've uh, you know, not known what to say or what is expected or compare your, your prayers to someone else. I remember doing that when I was young, and there was this lady in our church, and she prayed in King James, you know, these and thous and shouldn't, and you know, and like, I was like, man, she's really spiritual, you know. I don't know how to talk like that. I mean, seriously, you know, we, we get this idea that there's a certain way to pray. How, how are we supposed to do that? Or maybe, maybe you've actually been in a prayer service or a church service and you've fallen asleep. Now, none of you would do that, right? <laughs> it's never happened. Yeah, yeah, well, it did to the disciples. Or maybe you've said something strange or tried to cover it. Or well, for one time for me, I was on the phone. Just you know, you get it gets rote. We just kind of do things and we say words that we you know, don't even think about what they mean. They just come out. And I was on the phone with an insurance agent. We were going over policies, and they were just going through the whole thing. And I just sort of checked out while they were talking. And at the very end, they they get done, and and I said, "Amen." <laughs> anyone anyone ever done something like that? And there, there's kind of this like quiet, like, um, amen, after, like, you know, like, or what, what's that about? <clears throat> and, uh, but we, we, we go into these awkward things in prayer. If we're honest, prayer is often something we struggle with. It's something that whether we know God or not, whether we're new to church or not, prayer is often awkward for many of us. I remember one of the worst times for me, I've told this story before, but it's worth telling again as I'm preaching on this, uh, is I, this was back when I was still in Idaho, and just about short, not even a year before moving here, and I had just led one of our youth camps out there. I was exhausted, and then I had to preach a sermon right at that Saturday and Sunday, so I was up all night, and I preached two services on Sunday morning, and I was so tired. I was so exhausted, 
And, uh, and this, this lady, this young lady comes to me afterwards and she would l- really needed prayer. She was going through some really hard things, having a hard time in life, and, and she really needed prayer for her grandmother. There was some stuff going on with her grandmother. So I grab my wife and we go into this room and, and we just hear what's going on and we listen to her and, and, and we're going to pray for her at the end. And I'm listening and I'm trying so hard, so hard to stay awake, right? You do things like this, oh yeah, mm-hmm. You know, that kind of thing. Trying to stay awake, trying to focus on everything she's saying, and I'm just drifting. And finally it comes time to pray. And so we, I take her hand, and we start praying, and I completely fell asleep. Completely. I was out. And, but worse than that is, as we're just, you know, because it seemed like this spiritual moment of silence, like, oh, Nate's just listening to God. No, I'm asleep. And as I'm, pray, as I'm asleep, looking like I'm praying, uh, I start praying for her grandmother's battery. Seriously, I start like, Lord, please recharge her battery. She needs you, Lord, to recharge it. I need you to recharge her battery. She needs you, Lord. I mean, just sort of rambling about this. And there was a reason because of my own. I had a little scooter and my battery was dead. And for whatever reason, that was what was on my mind. This, and then Daisha let me go for a little bit. She's like, well, maybe Nate has like a weird illustration he's going to pull out of this. And so she let me go and find it. She's like, no, he's crazy. And so she, she bumps me and, uh, and I wake up and I try to recover, try to make it spiritual. Like, Lord, you're our battery. You're our strength. Would you, you know trying so hard to sound spiritual, and it didn't, and she knew it. <laughs> People are smart. And so I, I apologize, and, and that was that. But prayer can be awkward. It can be a funny thing. For example, whenever I'm in a small group setting and I ask someone to pray, like, you know, there's these glances, nervous glances around, like, oh, uh, you know, and there's this awkward pause, and finally some brave souls, like, oh, I'll pray. You know, you guys know what I'm talking about, I'm sure. Prayer is an awkward thing, even for those of us sometimes who've walked with Jesus for a long time. It's something that we often think is just a personal thing. Or maybe it's something we say we do but don't really do. Like online when people say, sending prayers and positive vibes, whatever that means, right? I'm sending you positive thoughts. Thanks. I don't, that's, not, that's nice. I don't know what that does, but it's nice. We rarely talk about how it looks or how we, how we walk it out. And it often leads us to stumble around it. And I think whether we've, again, we've walked with Jesus for a long time or not, I think we'll identify with this clip from the movie, Meet the Parents, uh, where this guy comes to his, his uh, fiance's home and they ask him to pray for the meal. So watch us just a second. Greg, would you like to say grace? Oh, uh, well, uh, Greg's Jewish dad, you know that. You're telling me the Jews don't pray, honey? Unless you have some objection. No, 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 I'd love to. Pam, come on, it's not like I'm a rabbi or something. I said grace at many a dinner table. It's... Okay. Oh, dear God. Thank you. You are such a good God. To us, a a kind and gentle and accommodating God. And we thank you, O sweet, sweet Lord of hosts, for the smorgasbord you have so aptly lain at our 
table this day and each day by day day by day by day oh dear lord three things we pray to love thee more dearly to see thee more clearly to follow thee more nearly day by day by day amen amen oh greg that was lovely thank you greg that was interesting too So for, for so many of us, we can identify prayer, though we know we're supposed to, to pray, we're, we see it all the time in Scripture, prayer is awkward. You might remember another movie, the, the National Lampoon's Christmas Vacation, where they gather around the meal, and, and somebody does, is asked to pray, and they don't know what to pray. You remember this? And the, I forget who it is, begins, begins it this way, I pledge allegiance. And then everyone just like wrote just to the flag, of the, and they're all just going through it, right? Prayer is something we struggle with. How does one do it? Is there a right way, right words? How does it work? Does it, does it work? And yet this thing called prayer that we struggle with that's confusing for so many is probably one of the most important, if not the most important parts of how we live out our faith, of how we access what Jesus said when he said the better thing. But distraction, confusion, misunderstanding, comparison, fear, and so on will keep us from being covered in the dust of the rabbi, from being in his presence daily. Prayer is essential to our walk with God. In fact, it was essential even for Jesus. In Luke 5, 15, and 16, it says this, Yet the news about him spread all the more, so that the crowds of people came to hear him and to be healed of their sickness. But Jesus often withdrew to lonely places and prayed. You see this all the time throughout the Gospels where Jesus continually stops and prays, where he goes into the the wilderness and he prays. And if it's important for Jesus, guess what? It's important for you and I as well. If he prayed, we should pray. I think for us, when, you know, as it says, as he became more known, he prays more. I think for me, as, if I'm honest sometimes in my life, as I get busier, as I get focused on other things, important things, you know what's easily put to the wayside? Prayer. And a lot of that isn't because I don't want to pray. It's because sometimes we misunderstand what prayer is and how we walk in it. And that's what I want to talk to us about today. How then do we pray? And I want to pick up in the book of Luke right after the story we talked about last week with Mary and Martha because Luke, Luke was a physician. And Luke, who wrote his gospel, wrote it very precisely and intently. And each section comes from the next as a, as a, a correlation. He's not just randomly popping stories in. He's very specific about what he's trying to say about Jesus and what Jesus came to do. And so it picks up in verse, or chapter 11, verse 1. It says, One day Jesus was praying in a certain place. And when he finished, one of his disciples said to him, Lord, teach us to pray, just as John taught his disciples. And he said to them, When you pray, say, Father, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come. Give us each day our daily bread. Forgive us our sins, for we also forgive everyone who sins against us. And lead us not into temptation. Then Jesus said to them, Suppose you have a friend, and you go to him at midnight and say, Friend, lend me three loaves of bread. 
A friend of mine on a journey has come to me and I have no food to offer him. And suppose the one inside answers, don't bother me. The door is already locked and my children and I are in bed. I can't get up and give you anything. I tell you, even though he will not get up and give you the bread because of friendship, yet because of your shameless audacity, he will surely get up and give you as much as you need. So I say to you, ask and it will be given to you. Seek and you will find. Knock and the door will be opened to you. For everyone who asks receives. The one who seeks finds. And to the one who knocks, the door will be opened. Which of you fathers, if your son asks for a fish, will give him a snake instead? Or if he asks for an egg, will give him a scorpion? If you then, though you are evil, know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will your Father in heaven give the Holy Spirit to those who ask him? So looking at this, this story, there's a lot going on here, a lot of background. First of all, when, when Jesus is praying and he, and he stops to pray and the disciples rush him, they, they want to be taught to pray. But, but part of their, their heart behind that is they want to be taught like John's disciples were taught. And why is that significant? Well, because rabbis, it was customary for rabbis of different sects of, of Judaism to have specific prayers that they prayed that identified them to that rabbi. We actually know this from Jewish writings. They had ways they prayed that, that, that tied to their views on, on whatever. And so with Jesus, they're seeing a whole different story here with him. He's, he's operating on a whole different level. And they're like, we want to pray like you pray. Teach us to pray. They, the prayer was a part of their identity as followers of Jesus. That's significant. What's also significant is they actually said, teach us to pray. You, you will find this, that in nowhere else in the Gospels do the disciples ask Jesus to teach them anything. Now, Jesus taught them many things. But this is the only account where we see Jesus, the disciples say to Jesus, teach us to pray. Teach us to pray. They didn't ask to teach us to be good leaders or to have good strategies for church growth. All, these are good things, but teach us to, to exegete the Bible or, or teach us to whatever it is, to lead worship well or, or to preach good sermons. They don't say that. What do they say? Teach us to pray. Why is that? Because what they see connected to Jesus' power, the way he's changing lives, the way the kingdom is coming through him, is they see the very core of that is his relationship with the Father. Remember, Jesus said, I see what the Father does and I do it. I hear what he says and I do it. And so they say, they see this and they realize prayer is that core place where Jesus operates out of. They recognize it needs to be the same in them. Lord, teach us to pray. And it's almost like they're saying, Lord, they're not looking for prayer techniques. They're saying, Lord, teach us what you know about the Father that makes you pray. What's interesting too is when Jesus said, when you pray, in the Greek, it would translate almost like this. And anyone from the south? It would be an idiom kind of like y'all. Y'all. When y'all pray. I mean, Jesus says, when you all pray. He's, he's, he's saying, every one of you, when you pray together. It's not just for them. It's not just for that time. There's something powerful about this prayer that Jesus is about to release to them. See, it, it's called the Lord's Prayer, both here in Matthew 6. But really, it's the disciples' prayer, isn't it? Because he's saying, this is how you should pray. It's not Jesus' prayer. And like, oh, that's nice. Jesus prayed. No. He's saying, this is how you should pray. Does that make sense? 
And it's born out of his own relationship with the Father, and it's given to them and given to us to pray this way. And he begins it simply with the word Father. It's an intimate word, yet reverent. It's not, it's not we, we, we know the word, you've probably heard it. It's the word in Aramaic that will be translated Abba, not the Swedish pop band. If anyone knows even what I'm talking about. Uh, it's, it's not that. It's the heart beat of God, the nature of God. When we look to say Abba, it's, it's more than daddy. Sometimes people correlate to daddy, but it's much more than just daddy. It's reverent and also intimate. It's a word that would never have been used in direct correlation to God in, in a relationship way. In the Old Testament, you have pictures of God presented as the father of Israel, uh, but not in this way. More it's talked about Israel being the son of the father and implied that he's the father. But for Jesus to di- directly address God as Abba and then say, you should pray the same way, is unheard of. Incredibly rare. Not that it hadn't been done, but it was rare. And for Jesus to say, now, not only is this for me as, a, as your rabbi, but for all people, y'all, all of you, to say, Father. He's inviting us into a relationship. It's not, he's saying, this isn't a prayer just to recite. It's a relationship to cultivate. And we might know if you've, if you've ever pre- read the Our Father, they call it, out of Matthew 6, which may, may be a different s- story or it may just be the way Matthew wrote it. Uh, and I'll say more about that in a second. But it adds Father in heaven, Our Father, who art in heaven. Have you heard this before, right? And all that's saying is the Jewish way of recognizing not that God's distant, but that heaven is right here. Our Father in heaven. He's higher than us. He's holy. He's mighty. He's our Father, and we're invited into relationship. Listen, prayer begins there. It begins with understanding that God is available. He's, he's a Father who's available, not distant, not disinterested, but available. And then it says, hallowed be your name. Hallowed is really a way of saying to be made holy. It's not just the word holy, or set apart is what holy means. It's to be made holy or sanctified. So why would he say, hallowed be your name? Well, what he's saying is prayer begins with recognizing the relationship with God that we have with the Father, but it also begins with worship, where we say, may you be exalted, may you be hallowed, may you be lifted up in my life. We sing those words, I exalt thee. What we're saying is, Lord, may you be lifted, your name be lifted high. Your name exalted, your name exalted in my life. We draw near to the Father, but then with a desire to make his name known and lift it up, be exalted. He is holy. And then he says, so hallowed be your name. And then the next line, your kingdom come, is such a profound term. It was, it was at the core of Jesus' teaching. He, uh, he, he came preaching the kingdom. A lot of times we struggle to understand what that means, but it's essentially the real hope, the promise that has come that's not yet that will come already. (laughs) Does that make sense? The hope of the future, the reality of what His kingdom is in the now. Your kingdom come is not just like when we go to heaven someday. It's talking about a whole different mindset of the way Matthew's version of this says that your kingdom come, and it adds to make it more clear, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. 
Not just when we go there someday. But Lord, let Your kingdom come now. It's a realized hope. And in, he, in, in, in the Matthew passage, it's, it wants to clarify that for doxology, for worship. That's why we often recite Matthews, where Luke's version is kind of to the point because he's trying to teach us what this is all about. But the word kingdom encompasses the whole thing. Your kingdom means your will and your purpose is your kingdom come now, right now. Your kingdom come. See, to ask for the kingdom to come is to see the present reality through a new lens. The lens of what is to come. The hope we have in Him. And I, I'm going to use this whiteboard for a second because, listen, I'm a teacher and my, I'm at heart, and so I, I, this is what I do. Anyway, I hope this is all right. I kind of already have it up here for you, and I've used this before when I preached on heaven last year, if you heard that, but if not, I'm going to kind of re-explain it because it's essential to how Jesus is teaching about prayer. When he's saying, your kingdom come. Can, I hope everyone can see this. I tried, to, I, I tried to get one of those really big white, white erase. I did, couldn't find one. But the Jews saw the, the world in two spaces, if you will, earth and heaven. And what they teach and what the Bible teaches is in the Old Testament that at one point in time in Genesis before the fall, before we messed it all up and said we want to be our own gods, we want to do our own thing, heaven and earth were actually together. Says that we walked in the cool of the day. We 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 conversed with God like a friend. We we knew him like a father. We it was perfect. But then it all got messed up. We 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 threw it back and said, Lord, we're, we're, God, we're gonna do our own thing. We don't want you. And immediately those two worlds separated. The way that Genesis talks about it is they were ex they were pushed out of the garden, which really meant they were pushed out of the perfect place where God's presence was. Because they were no longer perfect. And so now this world is full of brokenness. And if you read the stories, brokenness enters in immediately. Murder, jealousy. I mean, it just it all, it all enters in immediately. Sin corrupts us. But God made a plan. And part of that was through His people, He wanted to create a place where He begins to bring heaven and earth back together. So He established His people who would be that witness to the whole world that they would be his people and he establishes his tabernacle and ultimately his temple. That's what the T stands for. If everyone can see this. So he, he, he establishes this place for the Jews that was where heaven and earth met. That's why it was so important to them. That's why it mattered to them so much where the temple was a big deal. We might think, gosh, why didn't they just build another one? Why didn't they? You know, we, we don't understand how significant it was that place was where heaven and earth met. In the holy of holies where God met, where the glory of God came. And so they, 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 they treated it with reverence. And that's why when Jesus said, if you remember the story when he's walking with the disciples and he said, this thing's going to get torn down in three days. Be torn down and then he says, I'll rebuild it in three days is what he said. And he's talking about something deeply profound. He's reaching back into the book of Ezekiel. He's, he's pulling out something that's, that where God talks about building a new temple. But it's a new temple that's not of human hands, but of God's. And he's saying, I, so Jesus becomes the new temple. That access to heaven, to, to the perfect 
presence of God is now not through a place, not through a building, not through ritual, but through the one perfect Lamb of God who paid the way that we could enter in. And so Jesus has become that. He says, I am the new temple. I am the new realization. And through me, I will, you will see, receive the Holy Spirit, the promised Holy Spirit. And guess what the Holy Spirit does? He transforms you and me into pockets of heaven here. Does this make sense? Where you and I, Paul says this, and Jesus says this, become the temple because of Jesus, and we carry the Holy Spirit. So we are the realization of eternity, of heaven, of God's perfect rule and reign in the here and now. This is what we're called to be and do. So when Jesus says we pray this way, he's saying we pray knowing what will happen, who God is, who we know his justice, his perfect reign, his goodness, his righteousness. There is no more sorrow, no suffering, no pain. We, we know this and we begin to operate in that here. So when we say your kingdom come, we're saying something huge, amen? Does that, does that make sense? This is huge. I'm not just praying like, Lord, do what you want to do because you're God. I'm actually saying something far more than that. Make your, real, make your presence known here, in me, through me. Make your presence known. It's a powerful prayer. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Right now. In fact, Jesus said, that, uh, repent for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. And when he said that, that was the beginning of his ministry, the word at hand didn't mean like it's going to come someday. He meant within grasp. The kingdom of heaven is within grasp. Take hold of it. It's right here. So when we pray, that's what we're doing. We're taking hold of this. We're saying, Lord, I'm going to pray realizing who you are, though I see around me chaos and brokenness in a world that's in despair, but I know you're on the throne and you will reign eternally. And Lord, I pray that that would break through here and now. That's what prayer is. It isn't just saying grace before a meal. It is so much more. It's aligning ourselves with the kingdom to come. In the midst of the reality of today, it's, it's a declaration that we reject all the things that we look to for identity, for value, and saying we align ourselves instead to the lordship of Jesus, his kingdom. We align ourselves to him. You know, you think of a boat, when you throw the anchor down, you don't, you don't throw that, that anchor and pull the shore to you. The anchor is rooted in what is solid and what is, is, is not going to move. It's, it is the sureness, and we pull... And we're drawn, and we're made, we're drawn into His alignment. Prayer is coming that way. It's not making God do what we want. It's aligning ourselves to His will. And it's a it's a powerful thing just to pray. Your kingdom come. Your will be done on earth as in heaven. The next line says, "Give us each day our daily bread." And this is a rich understanding of both the bread we need in a real sustenance way for today and tomorrow. It's a reference to the idea of manna in the Old Testament when God provided Israel with the manna every day, freshness of God's provision. It's speaking of his real provision, but also the fact that he is all that we need. He is our sustenance. He is everything. So give us this day our daily bread 
is that practical, essential needs, but it's also that sense of, Lord, You are all that I need. And you see, when we think of it this way, when we recognize that He is all that we need, when we say, Lord, give us this day our daily bread, it's hard for us who, who you know, we work. We say, well, I earned that money to buy that food. But there's a humble admittance in this that says, Lord, I give it all to You. I recognize it comes from You. Not me. And on the, on the sustenance side, when we, you know, we, we can just go to the store here in America. We can just go down and get some food if we're hungry. But in many places in the world, and at this time, it didn't work like that. If there was no food, there was no food. And so to really pray this prayer was significant. Give us this day our daily bread. It was a provisionary. It was, Lord, You are all that we need. You provide. It was a complete trust in the goodness of God. He goes on and he says, forgive us our sins for we also forgive everyone who sins against us. And of course, forgiveness is at the center of the Christian message. But what's, what's kind of neat here is that what it's saying is that receiving forgiveness from the Lord and extending forgiveness to others is synonymous. In other words, what we're saying in humility is we're saying, I can't forgive on my own. I need to experience your forgiveness to have the power to forgive. And it's again a humble admittance to saying, Lord, I need that in you. I, do, I cannot operate that way on my own. The human cycle of, of vindication over and over. If we're going to break that, we need a different kingdom. So work that in my heart. That's what we're saying. I cannot forgive others in my own strength. I need your strength to walk in forgiveness. And then it goes on and says, lead us not into temptation. Listen, it's not saying that God tempts us. In fact, we know the Scripture says that God does not tempt us. What it is, is it's that cry of help. It's saying, Lord, keep us in the hour of trial when we face hardships, when we face temptation. Keep us. That's why Matthew adds, adds to that. It says, and lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from the evil one. It's, it's saying, listen, God, I can't do this on my own. I can't, I can't resist temptation. I can't walk righteously on my own. Keep me, oh God. I need your strength. Listen, there's no superhero, super spiritual Christians. He doesn't exist. The only thing we can do is lean on Him. Trusting in His strength. We are hum- it's a humility and dependence on Him. See, our only victory is leaning on His strength and His victory. And the last part of the, the passage that's in the book of Matthew was added for doxology or for worship, but it, it, it bookends the prayer so well, and you've probably, some of you may have heard it, but it says this, for yours is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. Amen. What's beautiful about this is that in those days, if you were to say the words kingdom, power, or glory, what would immediately come to people's mind is Rome. Rome, the power of Rome, the kingdom of Rome, the glory of Rome. But here it's saying, no, we attribute those to Jesus, to God. His is the kingdom. His is the power. His is the glory. Not Rome, not America dare I say, not Great Britain, not 
the kingdoms of this world, his kingdom, his power, his glory. We're saying, God, you are on the throne. And so it begins in worship and it ends in worship. You can't separate prayer and worship. They're combined. The idea of connecting with God, prayer is worship and worship is prayer. Then there's these, this next little bit here in verses 5 through 8 where Jesus instructs them a little bit further. And he gives these two little parables that I'll summarize quickly. And the first one is the friend in need. And, and he says, suppose you, in verse 5, suppose you have a friend and you go to him at midnight. So he puts us, the listener, into the story. And he says, suppose you have a friend and you go to him at midnight and say, friend, or it really could even be translated neighbor, friend, neighbor, lend me three loaves of bread. A friend of mine, another friend, who's been on a journey has come to me and I have no food to offer him. See, what's happening here is Jesus is starting to say, give a picture of why we can pray. And then he says, and suppose the one inside answers, don't bother me, the door is already locked and my children and I are in bed. I can't get up and give you anything. He says, I, and then he says, I tell you, even though he will not get up and give you the bread because of, of friendship, yet because of your shameless audacity, he will surely get up and give you as much as you need. So what's happening here is Jesus is telling this parable in the midst of this culture that's what's called an honor-shame culture. And what that means is it was very customary for people to, for hospitality to be like one of the highest values in the entire culture. So if someone came to your house, you had to welcome them in. You were, it was required. It was, it was dishonorable if you didn't. So you can picture what Jesus is doing with this story. He says, like, suppose someone comes to your door and it's the middle of the night. And they ask for, for, for hospitality and you have to give it to them. But now you're out of food. So that what, this is, what it's challenging us to do then is to go to the neighbor. The picture is you go to the neighbor and you ask for bread to feed the one you're now needing to take care of. The reason it asks, this is so significant is that was required of you and it would have been required of the community because if you, if you hadn't, they would know you hadn't cared for somebody and you would get shamed. So it was required of you to do this. It was required of you to care for them. It was part of honor. And so what Jesus is saying is, listen, you think that they wouldn't do this. It's customary. Of course they would care for you. Of course, of course they provide. This is what would be expected because it's righteous. It's honorable. It's good. What's, what's powerful about this is it's not talking. A lot of times we read this and we read that verse, shameless audacity in verse 8, and we think it's about boldness and that we pray with boldness, and that's part of it. That we prayed ceaselessly, and that's part of it. But what it's actually telling us is that we can pray that way because of who God is. Because God is faithful to his own name. See, it would have been, it would have been, it would have been to wake someone up in the middle of the night, the irritation. You all slept together on the floor typically, so we'd wake everybody up. But that's the bigger issue was, was honor. And it's saying that God is saying, I will not dishonor my name. Does that make sense? See, we can be bold because of who He is, precisely because God is holy. We can pray boldly because God is who He says He is. 
We can be bold. We can have that shameless audacity, not because we're great and we have great faith and we pray great prayers, but because we serve a God who is holy and He is who He says He is and He will do what He says He will do. That's a powerful way to look at prayer. And this isn't to say that we get to pray and, and He does whatever we, at, whatever we want. It was always my dream uh, to, to get a Ferrari when I was younger. I don't know why, I just wanted a Ferrari as a kid. I mean, for years. I, I, now I wouldn't even fit in one, but I, you know, I always wanted one. And I, I pray as a little kid, Lord, would you let me get a Ferrari when I'm older? You know, those kid prayers that you pray. Listen, though God will answer extravagant prayers sometimes, I don't think he's concerned with those kinds of prayers. He's concerned with the kind of prayers that are in his name that are saying, Lord, let your kingdom be made known here and now. In my marriage, in my family, in my workplace, in my school, in, in, in my neighborhood, in my community, Lord, those are the kind of prayers that he wants to answer. In John 14, 13, he says, ask anything in my name. That's what it means, in my name. In thy character, in who I am. And I will do it so that the Father may be glorified in the Son. And many other times he says the similar things. God is not a genie. He's not answering us out of our selfish gain. He answers prayers that are bold prayers of faith, of heaven on earth kind of prayers. 1 John 5, 14 and 15 puts it this way. This is the confidence we have in approaching God, that if we ask anything according to His will, He hears us. And if we know that He hears us, whatever we ask, we know that we have what we have asked for. That's why he says in verse 9 and 10, So I say to you, ask and it will be given to you. Seek and you will find. Knock and the door will be opened to you. For everyone who asks receives and so on. And what he's saying is keep on asking. Keep on reaching out. Not because of great faith that you have, but because of a great God that you serve. Who is holy and mighty. Ask because of who he is. And keep on asking. And then the second and last parable, he says, which of you fathers, if your sons asked for a fish, would give him a snake instead? Or if he asked for an egg, would give him a scorpion? If you then, though you are evil, know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will your Father in heaven give the Holy Spirit to those who ask him? He appeals to the fathers, to the parents, and of course not. Of course we would give them the things they need, the sustenance, and care for them. And so he's saying, listen, if you understand that, how much more do you, does God, who is good and perfect, understand this reality? He gives good gifts, as it says in Matthew, but here he gives the Holy Spirit the greatest gift. See, the Holy Spirit is the promise of the kingdom to come. His Spirit, Emmanuel, God with us, Him with us now, His Spirit is the reality of heaven now. You know, a lot of times I think when we ask God for things and, and, and He hears us, He hears us, He really does. But I think a lot of times we don't always know what we're asking and we, we're, He has so much more for us. I remember when our kids were really young, we, we lived in Idaho still and my parents arranged, they, they paid for a big trip to Disney World. And when you have little kids, specifically a little girl, that that's, I mean, that's the most exciting thing in the world, typically, right? Princesses and Disney World. She was, she was ecstatic that we were going to go to Disney World. So we, we drive down there. We had to go to Salt Lake City to fly out. And it was about a three-hour drive. So we stayed in a hotel the night before we were to fly. And we go to this hotel. And, you know, we, we don't, she wants our daughter who loved to swim. Both our kids loved to go in the pool. 
But we're like, oh, please don't, because then your swimming, your swimming suit is wet, and we've got to get on the plane tomorrow. But she just really had to swim. So we decided, well, we're going to do it. We're going to go swimming. So we go swimming, and she loves it. And we go to bed that, that night, wake up the next morning. We're getting ready to go, and we look, and Maris is putting her, her swimsuit on, right? She's, she's ready to go swimming again. And we're like, no, honey, we're going to Disney World. I mean, D- Disney, there's pools there. There's, it's so much bigger, so much better. There's so much, she just starts screaming, crying. She's like, I want to swim right now. I want to go in the swimming pool. And I, that's all I've ever wanted, and you don't understand, you know, those kind of things. And we're like, no, but don't you understand how much more we're, we have? I think we are often like that with God, with prayer. We're like, God, I really love this filthy hotel swimming pool. And, and, and we just want to stay here. But he's like, no, son, daughter, I have so much more for you if you would just trust me. See, the first story that we read here that Jesus gave is a story that God is holy. He is who he says he is. He is, he is God. He's holy. There's no one like him. And the second story is to trust that God is good. Mark Batterson put it this way with, with prayer when we don't understand. What we perceive as unanswered prayers are often the greatest answers. Our Heavenly Father is far too wise and loves us far too much to give us everything we ask for. Someday we'll, we'll thank God for the prayers he didn't answer as much or more than the ones he did. That's a profound statement. See, the fundamental issue that Jesus is saying about how we approach prayer, it's not about the words we say. It's first, do we, do we fully believe that God is holy and faithful? Do we believe He is who He says He is? Do we believe there? Do we start there? And second, do we believe that God is good? Is He holy? Is He faithful? Is he, is he who he says he is? And is he good? See, Jesus wasn't giving a formula for prayer. He was laying a foundation of how and why we can pray. Rooted in the, the holiness and the goodness of the Father. See, effective prayer must be rooted in the reality of the holiness and the goodness of God. Prayer is not just wishful thinking. See, with all due respect, and I mean no disrespect, but listen, when, when we say we send prayers or good thoughts or good vibes, I don't know what we're saying we're accomplishing, but what I do know is when we pray to the God of the universe who is faithful and just, who sits on the throne forever and ever, who is holy, he is good beyond measure, I know that when we pray to him, things do happen. Things do change. People don't need my good thoughts They need the God of the universe to move. And prayer is entering into that because he is moving. And it might be hard for us to accept these realities about God. Maybe maybe we've never prayed because we don't know that he ever would answer it. We've never seen it. Maybe we felt abandoned. Maybe we feel like he hasn't answered us. Or maybe we feel like we're afraid of being let down again. We've waited and waited. And how could God be so good when we suffer so much? How could we believe that God is good and holy? The truth is, the reason we can believe that is because of Jesus. Because of who He is and what He's done. See, Jesus stepped into yours and mine brokenness. He faced it head on. He, he knew pain. He knew betrayal. He knew loneliness. He knew sorrow. And then that, that terrible night, the night before He was crucified, and He cried out in prayer while the disciples were sleeping, by the way. Right? None of us do that. Father, 
He said, if there is another way, let this cup pass from me, but not my will, but yours be done. Praise this powerful, simple prayer. In the midst of, of pain and sorrow. You know, for, 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 for that picture, listen, that there is no better illustration of both the holiness and the goodness of God than what we have in Jesus. The Jesus who took the price of our sins and his death on the cross in what seemed like the end. Listen to this. This is so key because it, it, it gives power to the prayers we pray. In what seemed like the end, in what seemed like utter hopelessness, what seemed like just wishful thinking, what looked like death had won became, was suddenly changed when light and life came bursting forth in the resurrection of Jesus. And now we can pray with boldness because he's gone and made a way for us. I don't pray wishful thinking. I pray for, because the one who has come has made a way. Because he is faithful and he is just. We can come boldly before him because he's ushered in the kingdom, the gift of the Holy Spirit. We can pray even in the darkest times. We can pray boldly, not because of great faith, because who he is and he's gone and made the way. And for me, I think one of the most powerful times I learned this was, was when my father, I've, I've talked about it before, but my father was diagnosed at 56 with pancreatic cancer. He was quite young. And he passed away at 58. And I remember the, in, the, in that season, my prayers were very much like, God, why? Very normal kind of prayers. Lord, why? Why would this happen? Why would, he was a good man. Lord, why, why did you let this happen? What, you know, those kind of, Will you heal him begging? Like, and, and God can heal, and he does heal, and we should pray that way. But something deeper has to be underneath that, and that is that we recognize that God is holy and that God is good. And I'll, I'll, I'll never forget that in that night when he was, it was his, when we, he was passing, we knew he was passing, and we gathered around his bedside and we worshiped because that's what he wanted. And, and we were praying to God and we're worshiping God and, 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 and it seemed kind of strange at first, but there was such a peace in the room and I felt like God said, Nathan, do you trust that I am good even in this? Even in what seems hopeless, do you, do you trust me that I am good? And I made this resolve in my heart and I said, Lord, you are good, you are faithful. And even what seems like hopelessness, I know because of this that there's life. And you are good always. And amazingly, as, as, as what we could never have guessed is that because of my dad's passing, I've shared this before, but because of his passing, his atheist grandfather that my dad had prayed and prayed and prayed for decades became a Christian three months before he died. Because he read my dad's journal. And he said, this must be real. And he wrote a letter to his brother and said, what my son believed and what you believe has to be real. Listen, what we think looks hopeless, we, we can pray with this kind of hope. Beyond what we see. See, prayer may not always change the circumstances we're in, but it will always give you the strength to walk through them. 
Recently, the Lord answered a prayer even in our own lives that I've been praying for 19 years. And just two weeks ago, an answer came through that just, I mean, I sat in my car, the simple thing I prayed for 19 years, and I wept and I wept. I said, Lord, I, I thought you forgot. <laughs> he is good. He is faithful. Don't stop praying. Keep asking. Keep knocking. Keep seeking. Amen? See, the greatest need we ever have is the Holy Spirit. We need His presence in our lives. The dust of the rabbi. The presence of God. And prayer is how we do it. Prayer for God's kingdom to come in our lives, in our families, in our work, in our career, in our marriages, in our community, in our country. Lord, let your kingdom come. That's the kind of prayers we're to pray. And it's not so much about the words you pray. It's not about, you know, saying big words or King James words or long-winded prayers. It's about trusting in the foundation that God is good and God is holy. That's where prayer matters. The cry of just, Lord, I trust that you're good and you're holy. And so I can come to you always. Your Father, you are always available. So will you stand with me this morning? I'd like us to sing the song that we sang earlier called The Goodness of God. And I'd like us to sing with this, uh, this understanding as, as, as the, Lord prayer, the Lord's prayer teaches us that He is good. He is faithful. One of the lines says, I've known you as a father. I've known you as a friend. It's this trust in Him and who He is. And then we'll close together in prayer. So let's sing these words with this understanding, declaring that. And we'll pray.
as we close, I'd just like us to be bold this morning. And we're going to do something that maybe you've done in, in more traditional churches. It's frequently done where we, we're going to recite the Lord's Prayer. But I want us to recite it with this depth of understanding. That we come from a place of understanding His holiness and His goodness. And because of that, we can pray to the Father. Even if we've known only earthly fathers that have been, been less than perfect, certainly. We can trust that He is good and He is holy. He is a perfect Father. That we can come to Him because He is available. And so whatever it is in your life right now that you're going through, that you need this kind of kingdom breakthrough. Maybe it's in your children. Maybe it's in your grandkids. Maybe it's in your work or or your finances or whatever it is. And you need a breakthrough. Let's pray boldly as we say these words. And I'm going to repeat them. And with our heads bowed, our eyes closed, if you want to, if if you feel comfortable and there's just something in your life, lift your hands out before you. That thing that you're struggling with. And and we're going to repeat these words. We're to declare Because they aren't just words. They're the power of the kingdom of God. So repeat after me. Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name your kingdom come your will be done on earth as it is in heaven and give us today our daily bread and forgive us our sins as we forgive those who sinned against us and lead us not into temptation but deliver us from the evil one. For yours is the kingdom, the power, the glory, forever. Amen. Thank you, Lord. Lord, we pray those bold words. Your kingdom come. Your will be done in our lives, God, here and now. Lord, teach us to pray just as you taught the disciples. That it's not about the words we pray. It's not about praying these good churchy words, prayers, but it's about trusting in a good, the good, perfect God. We can come boldly because of who you are. So Lord, we praise you and we thank you. In Jesus' name, amen. And listen, if for any reason you would like prayer, uh, you'd like to respond to that in any way, we have people up here who would love to pray with you. Please take that opportunity. Otherwise, uh, be blessed. Have a wonderful week. And we'll see you guys next week.